Lisa likes the window seat at night, the lights below that tell her she's nearly home. Then there's the lights she can't see, the runway lights we power to bring her plane safely into land. And because at Energia we also power all of Ireland's streetlights, Lisa's taxi home is that bit safer too. And no prizes for guessing who powers her house. Welcome home, Lisa. Energia, the power behind your power. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. And, uh, Matt, I think you have a little news to share. Is that right? Yeah, a lot going on. I have a feeling I'll be sharing a lot of news over the next couple of weeks. But the uh, the first ball to drop, and I've kind of mentioned these on Twitter a few times, is Bill Williamson, who we are not related at all, but we've known each other for a long time so from ESPN, probably about 10 years or so. Uh, he and I are starting a podcast that will be weekly, and we did one yesterday, got a lot of good feedback on it. it it's sort of in the, just the two of us talking, going around the league, pure NFL. Um, I'm going to be out of town all next week, and then after that, we're going to be going once a week, Bill and I. So it, it's good stuff. So no fantasy talk there, just, just strictly Not NFL. Not at all, yeah. I mean, he's he brings sort of a reporter's eye for things. You know, he was the... A, uh, AFC West blogger for a lot of years, and then he became the Raiders blogger, and, and now he's he's actually my connection to, to Taze Pigskin, who I've been writing for quite a bit too. He's he's editing over there for now too, so he's kind of doing a lot of things as well. All right, well we have a great show today, a great guest. You may know him from his work at Roto World, um, very active on Twitter, and in the in the past couple of years he's kind of gotten around the the fantasy landscape, but I think he's finally decided to settle down over at Roto World. We've got Rich Rebar. Rich, how's it going? It's doing great, guys. I'm glad to get on. You know, I was supposed to be on yesterday, but I was I was too busy catching Pokemon to get on the show today. So, <laughs> so we were to push it back. Yeah, I hope you caught them all. So, um, you know, Rich, I just love I love all of your work. Uh, you you drop these stats on Twitter. Your um, your worksheet series at Roto World is is filled with what I call Reeb stats. So not only are these amazing stats for each team and and the players that you share, but I, I find myself wondering and and just trying to figure out how you even thought to, to look that stat up. So, you know, where do some of these things come from, and, and how do you, you dig and, and find these these different pieces of data? Well, I mean, as you guys know, I mean, the, the, the player analysis and fantasy analysis is, is tenfold now, the way it's jumped the last few years. So it's just trying to find something unique to bring to the table. I mean, a lot of the times we're, we're all saying similar things, just in a different fashion. So, I mean, I'm just trying to bring a, a new slant to, to, to say some things that, you know, some people may know or shine some light on some people that, that they may not know. So, I mean, you know, I've, I've got just mountains of spreadsheets and, you know, NFL data, you know, play-by-play data. I've got a big file, you know, from armchair quarterback and just try to sift through that and create things from that and 
and you know come up with just a unique unique way of presenting things. You know, everyone's using using stats now in some capacity. Even if you're using film, you're using stats. Uh, you know, to go along with it now. So I mean, it, you know, just trying to to bridge that gap of the worlds and bring something uh, unique to the party. Rich, Rich, you and Ryan have known each other for a while, but this is really the first time we've got to interact besides on Twitter and, and whatnot. Uh, but I heard you on the couch, and I've heard you on a couple podcasts, and I've been excited for a long time to get you on. But, man, Ryan is dead on. Some of these stats are obscure, but they're relevant. You know, I mean, it, it, it had to take a lot of digging. And lastly, I'm, I'm going to turn in an article tonight, two of them actually, for the score, where they wanted me to do just a little bit of fantasy stuff a couple offenses to avoid and a couple offenses to pounce on for fantasy reasons. But I think I'm going to wait until I can steal some of your data to you know, <laughs> throw a little bit in there and trickle it in, see if you agree. <laughs> nice. I like that. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, Matt, you, you wouldn't be the first to steal Rich's work, so that's okay. Oh, just, just join the party. <laughs> Well, we've got, we've got a lofty goal, and, and I put a lot on Rich's plate as he prepared for the show today. We're going to run through every single NFL team. Rich is going to give us one of his uh, trademarked Reeb stats, just some kind of crazy piece of information that none of the rest of us would have ever thought about, but really um, is intriguing. It, it has an effect on our preparation for the NFL season and for our fantasy teams. Rich, we're really just going to let you take off with this. We're going to start in the AFC, AFC East with the Pats. What do you got on the Pats? Perfect. Yeah, I know this is a, more of a dynasty show, but, you know, we're kind of kind of bridge these stats for a 2016, you know, outlook, you know, for the most part. I'll try to mix it up a little bit so they're all not the same. For the Patriots, uh, I think one of the fun guys this year is Deion Lewis. And so one of the fun stats on Deion Lewis is he had just six touches, you know, from the 10-yard line and in last year on his 85 touches. And just one was a reception. Of course, that's the reception we all know since the Cowboys where he ducked under the defender and got in. It was a beautiful play. And when you look at Deion Lewis, he was on 115 target pace. You know, that stands to be compromised now with Martellus Bennett as an intermediate option, uh, other snaps and targets that are going to go to Chris Hogan, whatever he may find to go in addition to Edelman and Amendola and Gronk. So, I mean, even the slightest volume loss is concerning for Lewis because he may not offer as much touch upside as people think because he's not getting those money touches. Yeah, and I would think Bennett's addition is probably a couple more targets near the goal line he won't get. Yeah. I think Lewis is an, an intriguing guy in, in, in all formats, redraft and dynasty. And I think what people are asking themselves is just, can we trust this guy? You know, not only the injury history, but the running back usage in New England has always been sketchy and not one that's on solid ground. So I don't know. Lewis is, is a guy I'm, I'm trying to avoid, you know, depending on uh, where he's falling in drafts. What about the Buffalo Bills? They've, they've kind of been in the news the past couple weeks. Some, their backup running backs, Carlos Williams, the rookie Jonathan Williams, both um, having some off-field issues. What do you have on them, Rich? Yeah, and those running backs are important. So I think when you look at the Bills, uh, my stat for them is, is 2.5. That's the number of pass attempts Tyrod Taylor had per drive last season, which was last in the league. Uh, we know Greg Roman and the in the offense he wants to run, unique unique run designs. They want to pound the football. Uh, Taylor led all quarterbacks in rushing yards per game last year at, at 40.6 yards per game, and he had 40 or more yards, which is equal to a touchdown pass, in nine of his 14 games. So, I mean, those – 20 touchdowns he threw look more like 29 in the fantasy scoring sheet if you if you count those that way. Um, and, you know, Taylor proved his rushing output is capable of trumping that low volume, but, I mean, they're going to need that 
that passing volume to come along with the, that uh, lack of running back uh, depth now that they're going to have now because Deshaun McCoy is, um, you know, a guy that still he can't get much more touches per game than what he had last year. So, I mean, they're going to need that depth behind him. So, Carlos Williams, Jonathan Williams. I mean, Jonathan Williams is probably going to get an extensive look in the preseason here to see what he has. And at worst, he's going to get, like, a one-game suspension. Um, and then we'll see if they sign Reggie Bush. And Mike Gillisley is still in the fold there who kind of – he kind of lived off long runs – uh, you know, in scattered usage, uh, but then when he finally got a chance to handle the load there against the Jets at the end of the season, I know it was the Jets' front. Uh, he was he was completely miserable with volume, so I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out. Jonathan Williams is the guy I'm really excited about, and he was one of the only rookies in this entire class that, in rookie drafts, I really went out of my way to get him. Usually in the third round, but meant trading future picks or getting you know moving around, moving up. So I'm, I'm really happy to have him right now with Carlos Williams being out four games. I think he's immensely talented. Uh, I could see, you know, how much longer can we trust McCoy, too? I mean, I could see Jonathan Williams. I don't think it's all that far-fetched to figure out a scenario where he leads the Bills in, in rushing this year. Rich, back to your Tyrod Taylor stat. Two and a half passes, uh, pass attempts per drive. That was last in the league. You said, give us some perspective there. What what would be a high number not necessarily the league leaders if you don't have that that data in front of you, but what what's a high number of pass attempts per drive? Yeah, pushing four to five, uh, you know, the, the Drew Breeses, the Ben Roethlisberger's of the world. I mean, you, to put it in perspective, Tyrod Taylor's pass attempts per drive are slower than Nick Foles. Uh, you know, wow. to, to give a little perspective, he's basically, you know, we know that's Greg Roman style. That's the offense they want to run, especially when you pair Greg Roman with the Rex Ryan, you know, offensive philosophy. Um, so, I mean, just low volume. Tyrod Taylor lived off of efficiency, uh, and, you know, you'd like to see some volume to come along with that to measure out any lack of efficiency that he may have this year. I, I had mentioned that there's offenses that I'm writing about now to target and to avoid. I think as it stands right now, the Bills are an offense to avoid in fantasy. And, and my reasoning is sort of along the lines of this. Is obviously they're very run first, but if, I just think they're so Sammy Watkins dependent. You know, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm going to put ten guys in the box against the Bills until I know that Sammy's 100 percent and can torture me, because there's nobody else. Yeah, I think Charles Clay could, you know, could see a lot more volume than he did last year. I, I could see him having a, you know, a, a solid year, maybe a low end tight end one even. Yeah, I think you're right about that. All right, let's stay in the AFC East. The Jets obviously have some questions right now in their passing game. Are they going to sign Fitzpatrick? Uh, are they going to go with Geno Smith? Who knows how that will play out? Rich? So the Jets, uh, the number is 12. It's a number of times Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall had a game where they caught a touchdown pass, which was one off an NFL record for an individual player in a season. It was just the third time ever that a pair of teammates caught 10 or more touchdowns uh, a touchdown in 10 or more different games, you know, joining Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne in 2004 and Chris Carter and Randy Moss in 1998. Uh, I think when you look at the Jets, I mean, I think we all expect them to have some passing regression, even if Ryan Fitzpatrick does come back. I mean, I, I think it's hard to see him throwing touchdowns in the mid-30s again. Uh, if you look at the Jets, they went 6-2 and two versus the NFC East and the AFC South last year. Uh, I think that there's going to be a big uh, climate change for them when they face the NFC, when they trade that for the NFC West and the AFC North this year. Uh, I think they really outkicked their coverage last year, uh, you know, stacking up some stats on those bad teams. And so whether whether or not Geno uh, is the quarterback or Ryan Pitcher's quarterback, I think that the passing game is going to take a step back. Not that I would avoid either of those guys, but I think expecting double-digit touchdowns from both those guys again is probably a little lofty. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll move over to the dynasty perspective a little bit here. Brandon Marshall is a guy, I, I think he outperformed based on the expectations, mm-hmm. you know, of a 30-plus-year-old wide receiver last year. But now he's being drafted in the third round of, of dynasty drafts, which seems crazy to me. You know, for his age, for the, the questions in New York, he's an easy guy to, to avoid in a new league. Mm-hmm. All right, let's finish up with the Miami Dolphins. Lots of changes there. Lots of focus on their wide receivers, especially in the dynasty community. Yeah, especially when you're talking about Devontae Parker, and you look at Devontae Parker, uh, 61 is the amount more yards that Devontae Parker, or, uh, that Jarvis Landry only had over Devontae Parker the final six weeks, despite seeing 29 more targets and catching 25 more passes. Uh, Parker closed the year with 87, 93, 106 receiving yards over his final three games, and he outscored Jarvis Landry in standard leagues over the final six weeks, despite that large gap in catches and targets. So, Rich, if you're looking at value, value alone, Landry, Parker, both going in in the second or third round of dynasty drafts, Carew's probably seventh, eighth, ninth rounder, which one Miami receiver are you targeting in dynasty leagues? I mean, dynasty, I still want Parker. I mean, he's the guy that projects to have the largest ceiling if he can hit it. I mean, Jarvis Landry has definitely outkicked my, you know, what I had him nailed because the prospect coming out. I mean, he's been a way better player than I thought. I'm done fighting the fight on Jarvis Landry. I mean, he's he's just a good player. It's okay to admit it. Um, but as far as a fantasy option, there are a ways to arbitrage how Jarvis Landry scores his fantasy points. You know, whether it's a guy like Golden Tate, um, or you know, or a guy like Jeremy Macklin. Like those are guys that can still score in the same capacity of of a guy like Jarvis Landry. So I mean, I can always feel like I can replace a Jarvis Landry ceiling, but a guy like Devontae Parker, if he hits a ceiling, it's a lot harder to replace. So I'm still in on Parker, uh, you know, for the first hand. I'm really high on the Dolphins' offense this year. I, I mean, I'm high on Adam Gase. They had Tunsil, speaking of high, and I really like Carew. I think this offense has a chance to be the most improved offense in the league, and that's even before they signed Arian Foster yesterday, which doesn't really move the needle for me all that much. I mean, I think they brought him in because he's very well-versed in the passing game. You know, I mean, he's a good blocker. He's a good option as a receiver. We know Gase likes to throw the backs a lot, and he's run a lot of zone. You know, Gase is going to be a, bring up a lot of inside zone, and Foster's run it. I mean, Drake and uh, Ajayi are just so young. I think you need a veteran in that room. So uh, I'm not super excited about really any of those guys for redraft, but I think this offense has a chance to be really good. Yeah, the one thing that scares me about the Dolphins is their outlook on paper looks just so miserable. I mean, they're out of their first four games, they open up three on the road at Seattle, at New England, and at Cincinnati out of their opening four games. Uh, for fantasy, wow. that looks that looks like a problem, uh, yeah. you know, especially as a transition, you know, some new verbiage and some new players moving around there. But, uh, yeah, I think that they definitely – bringing in a guy like Adam Gase, a guy that's proven that he's maximized talent, is a step in the right direction because of going from Joe Philbin, a guy that they have talented players and they couldn't get a, get a lot out of. So, I mean, I think it's a definite step in the right direction. Let's move over to the AFC North. We're going to start with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, obviously, no Josh Gordon last year. Likely, no Josh Gordon this year. Uh, lots of, you know, lots of areas that need to be improved on that team. Gary Barnage, though, was one of the big surprises last year. What did What did you find about him, Rich? 
Yeah, and Gary Barnard just, you know, it's not it's not completely shocking to, to see how uh, his fantasy season happened. I mean, he ran the most routes in the NFL last season at 36.9 per game. Uh, to add some context to it, that was 72 more than the next player, Ben Watson, so about two full games worth. Uh, and in context of Gary Barnard's breakout versus Jordan Reed, Barnard ran 203 more routes in the season than Jordan Reed, and Jordan Reed still outscored him. Uh, you look at Cleveland, they ran 664 passing plays, uh, which resulted in 606 attempts in 2015, uh, while the highs of a Hugh Jackson-led offense have been just 602 pass plays and 555 pass attempts, and that came in 2007 when he was attached to you know the infamous Bobby Petrino year, uh, where you know ever he left the players high and dry in the locker room. So I mean, I think the Cleveland passing game. Uh, is going to take take a volume loss regardless of which quarterback comes into play because of Hugh Jackson's natural nature. I still think Barnes can hold on to a large target share, but it's coming down altogether as a team. You know that slice of the pie. One little note about Barnage that always kind of drives me crazy is a lot of people out there and some you know intelligent analysts and whatnot all say, yeah, Barnage was just a blocking tight end. He came out of nowhere. That's not who he is. I mean, like his yeah. combine numbers are very impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, he entered the league as an athletic receiving type that either just didn't get the chance or maximize it. I mean, it's not like he's a, a big goof inline blocker that happened to get lucky. What about the Cincinnati Bengals? Um, again, lots of changes with that team, too. They lost their second and third wide receiver. Tyler Eifert is hurt and looks like he's going to miss some regular season action. What do you have there, Rich? Yeah, and I think we, the biggest thing you look at is Andy Dalton's performance last year. I mean, he had averaged 8.9 adjusted yards per attempt prior to last season. He had been completely rock steady through his career, 6.2, 6.6, 6.9, 6.3. He was able to get there because he posted career highs in completion percentage uh, and touchdown rate, interception rate, which all contributed to that breakout. But he lost a lot of familiarity on this offense, and I also find it hard to believe that it's just the coincidence that Dolphins, Dalton's best season in the NFL came in a season where, uh, you know, he spread the ball around more than ever in his career. And if the Bengals are forced back to just force-feeding the ball to A.J. Green like they were early in Dalton's career, I think it becomes a problem not only for Dalton himself as it relates to fantasy, but the entire offense uh, is in Cincinnati. I I couldn't agree more. I'm worried about the Bengals overall this year, although I'm kind of excited about Gio. I I think Gio Bernard could catch a lot of passes. I've seen a lot of analysts projecting just a huge year for A.J. Green, some even giving him a chance to be the overall wide receiver one. Sure. It sounds like you expect some regression from Dalton. Do you still see that big year for Green? Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's going to basically, if it falls in line like he did to start his career, we know if he's going to push 150 targets, he can be a guy. The thing that worries me most about Green is, like, uh, people don't always talk about it. They always look at his overall numbers, which are fantastic. He scored 10 touchdowns, I think, in four of his five years. Um, but Green has always been a notorious, volatile producer. I mean, he's always been a guy that's, that's had just giant, like, 200-yard games, and then he'd have, you know, 30-yard games, uh, you know, to follow it up. And his, his he's got really wonky, like, home road splits that go online with Andy Dalton's. Um, so, I mean, I think that he can still get there overall, but I think as a – what you want from a guy from, like, a top-five redraft pick, uh, A.J. Green, I think you're, you're going to be let down week to week more than uh, you think that you're when looking at those overall numbers and those projections people are throwing out now. Yeah, I know you do a lot of, a lot of work with breaking down the season into those, you know, startable weeks, and uh, that, that really is so important. It's easy to overlook, especially this time of year, looking back at the past seasons. So it's, it's really important to keep that perspective and to focus on, you know, how many startable weeks, how many wide receiver two weeks did, did certain players have? 
the Steelers, of course, have lost Martavis Bryant. I've seen some splits uh, just in the past few days about Big Ben without Martavis, and it's not pretty. What do you have on Ben? Yeah, I wanted to. A lot of those have been flying around. I want to throw on the the home road Ben Ben narrative. I mean, seven is the number of fewer points he's averaged on the road in fantasy over the past three years. He's thrown 53 touchdowns at home to just 28 on the road in the exact same sample of games played. Uh, last season was no different. Just five of his 21 passing touchdowns came on the road with 16 at home. He just had one week on the road where he's a top 10 fantasy score. And it really makes no sense where you think about a guy like Drew Brees, who where her, you know maybe question arm strength at this point playing outdoors affects Drew Brees. Ben Roethlisberger being great at home in Pittsburgh and that climate on that surface kind of doesn't make much sense for him to be that much of a you know of a fantasy juggernaut at home compared down the road but for some reason whatever it is uh, you know it's, it's held true for a large sample of games now. Yeah it's crazy to me I've been sitting over here racking my brain trying to come up with a reason why and it's no. not even like you know like Miami they're in the east and they play most of their games you know out of Miami type weather late in the year. You know, they go to New York, they go to Buffalo, they go to New England. Well, Steelers, they go to Baltimore and Cleveland and Cincinnati. <laughs> it's all the same, you know. I mean, and not to mention Ben's from Ohio and he's done really well in all the games in Ohio. So those are two of the road games right off the bat. I, I don't understand this one at all. No, it, makes, it seems to make just it's completely baffling and it's gone on for multiple years, which is weird. Mm -hmm. And it's a big number. It's not like two or three points. I mean, it's a touchdown. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, if you're looking at half of Ben's games where basically you're not going to rely on him as a starter, and then you factor in the loss of Bryant, you know, there's there's some, you know, that's a, a big impact as well. Yeah, he he needs to be, uh, you know, maybe we need to reevaluate how we're we're viewing him. I think so many people are thinking about last year and Ben to Brown and just that connection that, you know, it it has to be there again, but. Eh. Maybe you know, maybe not to the same volume. I mean, just NFL speaking, I think the I think the Steelers have the best offense in the league, but there's a lot of stats against Ben for being an elite fantasy quarterback. You know, this is one of them. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up the AFC North with the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens. So uh, the Ravens uh, had seven or six hundred and seventy-six pass plays last year. That was the eighth most in NFL NFL history. Uh, they were a sound example of what can happen to an offensive script when a team is completely decimated by injuries. I mean, look at the Ravens. They trailed for 73% of their second-half plays in the season. They called the play on 70, pass play on 71% of those snaps, which accounted for 44% of their season total. And they were behind on 80% of their fourth-quarter plays. Only Cleveland trailed for more fourth-quarter snaps than Baltimore last year. I think with a, a healthier roster, you know, more depth at every offensive skill position than what they had, uh, the Ravens should reel in their pass attempts closer to, like, the 572 attempt average for a Mark Tressman-led offense, you know, prior to last year. Yeah, I'm not I'm not an NFL historian by any means, but just the the amount of injuries to that that team, yeah. the offense especially, I, I can't remember any other team dealing with that in, in other seasons. So thinking about their pass offense, you know, they brought in Mike Wallace. They hopefully have Rashard Perriman back. Uh, they drafted the Moore kid from Cincinnati. Steve Smith is kind of questionable as he recovers from his injury. Who do you like there in that passing game as as a receiver, as a pass catcher? Is it Kamar Aiken? I think by default it's Kamar Aiken when you just think about what he did last year when he was, uh, a, you know, he was a featured receiver. 
in an offense that was basically a disaster. Plus, he only played two games after a season that got hurt with Joe Flacco. He was playing with Matt Schaub, you know, Jimmy Clausen, Ryan Mallett of the world, and was still, you know, a top 20 fantasy uh, receiver. I think the way it's going to shake out to start the year, I think Wallace will be their starting flanker, uh, but we don't know. He's been trending down. He could re- find the genie in a bottle again. Uh, you know, he, him and Perriman could eventually cannibalize each other if, if Wallace isn't playing good and Perriman, you know, takes over some of those, you know, those routes that he's running. Uh, Steve Smith's been very ominous about himself. He's been very ominous about his return and start to the season. Uh, and then the tight end position is also a gaggle of guys. So, I mean, I think that the only reliable guy we can really count on is Kamar Aiken, but unfortunately he doesn't have, like, a you know, a, a super high ceiling. Yeah, I think this offense is really intriguing and, and in that I think Tressman in general produces fantasy numbers, you know, maybe better than the talent he has. You know, are they going to throw 676 times again? Probably not, but they're going to throw a lot. And the running backs are going to catch a lot of passes. I think Flacco's the guy to own. You know I mean? That's the big question is, well, what running back do I draft? What tight end do I draft? What Ravens do I draft? Well, I think you draft Flacco, and you get him on the cheap. Um, I, I mean, I've said this many times, but I, I helped recruit Joe to Pitt way back when. I paid a lot of attention to him. And one thing about him, the two staples that have been in, since he's been in the NFL – He's always had what I've called a whoopee. He's always had Derek Mason, Anquan Bolden, you know, the, the guy that on third and seven, everyone in the stadium knows it's going to him for an eight-yard gain. You know, he, it, Joe's always had that guy. I mean, even when it was Heap and some of those type of guys. I think that's Aiken. I mean, I think Aiken proved enough last year that he's going to be that chain mover. And then the other thing is he's got a huge arm. They've always had the deep threat too. And I'm still smitten with Perryman, but I need to see him in the preseason a little bit. All right, let's like move it. on to the AFC South. Uh, Rich, get us started with the Colts. Yeah, I mean, the Colts are easy. I thought I was going to go just dig deep and give something, but it's really simple because it's the most the thing that's going to affect us the most in fantasy, and it's 202. That's the missing targets from their roster a year ago, uh, with 84 of those tied directly into Kobe Fleener. Uh, if you look at the Colts' depth on offense, it's it's really lacking, especially at the wide receiver position and the running back position. So I think it's just a huge boon having all those missing targets for all of our favorites in fantasy, you know, the Dante Moncriefs, T.Y. Hiltons, uh, even a guy like Philip Dorsett, you know, to make his move this year, and Dwayne Allen, uh, all guys that are, are premiumly priced uh, for values in redraft this year if you're drafting a redraft, uh, and even a guy like Frank Gore is a value. So, I mean, the Colts are going to be a team that's going to throw a lot, and they've got a lot of targets missing and only a few guys to get them. So Dante Moncrief is obviously the hot name in Dynasty there. He's been climbing up our ADP charts and now you know going as high as the second round in some startup drafts. Uh, are you willing to pay that price, Rich? Yeah, I think so. I think I am. I mean, I, Moncrief wasn't a guy I wasn't in love with as a prospect, you know, coming out outside of just the the measurables. I mean, he was a guy that didn't he didn't really attack the football, let, let defenders, you know, break up plays that he should have made for a guy his size. Uh, but he's really changed his route running and, and, you know, attacking the football in the NFL. And he's still got the whole rest of his career to play at the Andrew Luck. So, I mean, I, I'm feeling pretty good about him still in the what he's done for two years and going forward. I actually have some faith in their offensive line, too. I mean, yeah. You don't count a lot on rookies, but I really think Ryan Kelly's Nick Mangold. You know, I mean, I think he's a plug-and-play guy that'll be there for 10 to 12 years or whatever cliche you want. And the left side of their line's good. Newhart's a decent guard. Costanza's a really good left tackle or above-average left tackle. Yeah, and he was out last year. Right, right. And they got four or five guys to compete for those two right-side jobs. You know, uh, I think the line will actually be better. 
All right, Rich, what about the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, you know, kind of a breakout offense last year. They still struggled, which led to plenty of pass volume, and there's been some theory that they're going to be improved this year. Maybe that pass volume drops. So what do we see with, with Allen Robinson and, and the crew there? Yeah, I, I kind of te- peg the Jaguars to make like a Raiders-esque last year jump where they're still going to be bad but like a little bit improved. Uh, you look at Allen Robinson, he led the NFL with 18 targets from the 10-yard line and in. Those targets accounted for 81% of Robinson's total red zone targets, uh, which also tied for the four- fourth highest total in a season since 1999. Robinson's 10 receiving touchdowns on those targets were tied with 2007 Randy Moss uh, for the most over the same period. Uh, you know, of the other six seasons where a player saw that many targets in the 10-yard line and in, they lost an average of nine of those targets the following season, uh, with the fewest being a loss of six and a loss of six touchdowns. I think it, I think it's a given we don't expect Allen Robinson to catch 14 touchdowns again. Um, but I think that when he loses, when you look at Allen Robinson's efficiency last year, it was pretty poor overall. So the loss of touchdowns uh, is significant for a guy like Allen Robinson. He could easily fall out to like be like a wide receiver two instead of the wide receiver one that people are expecting to set and forget him as this year. Rich, uh, let's go on to the uh, Tennessee Titans. They, uh, of course, brought in DeMarco Murray, and then they drafted Derrick Henry. It seems like they want to focus on the run game. They've also mentioned uh, that they want Marcus Mariota to even run the ball more. Yeah, it's interesting, too, the dynamic, because it seems like with the receivers they have, they have the type of offense that could be similar to what Mariota ran at Oregon. They've got a lot of guys that could catch a lot of short passes and run after the catch there, but they seem to want to run into the you know the, the exotic smash mouth, the air quotes, and the guy they brought in this year was DeMarco Murray, and you know we know that DeMarco Murray was a poor fit last year, and I think the big glaring example is that DeMarco Murray averaged 4.6 yards per carry on runs from guard to guard last year. That was uh, fourth in the NFL behind only Spencer Ware, Thomas Rawls, and Adrian Peterson for all backs with 50 or more such carries. But he averages 2.8 yards per carry on runs behind off of either tackle, off either off either end, which was last in the league. So, I mean, he was totally miscast, and I think that they're going to see a lot more power running uh, from DeMarco Murray this year. When you look at uh, Mike Malarkey when he took over as head coach last year, uh, 60% of the runs were guard-to-guard after he took over. So I think it just bodes well for DeMarco Murray. I mean, he still has to... Now with the, the addition of Derrick Henry, he still has to worry about Henry's guy that might get the money touches, you know, as I like to call him, near the goal line. Uh, but other than that, I think that Murray's kind of being discounted as being a guy that people want to throw away, and I think is in a better spot than people realize. I think it's pretty clear what they're going to do there. You know, I mean, Malarkey's history, let alone what the offseason told us, but Malarkey's history is Jerome Bettis, Willis McGahee, Michael Turner, you know, big boy between the tackle runners, and I think that's, you know, and maybe that's a little outdated, but, I mean, that's what they're going to do. I just don't really like either running back. I'm worried that Murray's done. I mean, that 2014 had to take a lot out of him, and I haven't seen a great back since December of that year. He even finished that season not so great. All right, Rich, what about the Houston Texans? Let's finish up this uh, this division. <laughs> Yeah, the Texans, uh, you know, they, 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 they probably made our favorite free agent signing for fantasy of the year. I mean, with Lamar Miller, you look at te- Texans RB1s last year, they averaged 16.2 rushing attempts per game last year, while Miller has had just 16 carries in an NFL game, just 12 of his 61 career games so far. Uh, you know, since Bill O'Brien's been in Houston, the Texans are second in the NFL in, in rushing attempts, and they were fifth overall last year in a season in which they trailed for 50% of their offensive snaps while running out that rotation, you know, of, 
talentless and, and injured backs last year. So, I mean, I'm, I'm wheels up uh, for good reason on Lamar Miller. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest questions as we head into the season is, you know, when you look at Lamar Miller, that's that's a lot of the storyline with him is that he never got the touches, he never got the carries in Miami. And, you know, we'll find out pretty quickly if there was a reason for that. You know, can he handle 20 carries a game or, or more? I don't think anybody can really answer that question right now. We'll just have to, you know, that's just a wait-and-see uh, storyline. Yeah, the good I, thing in Dynasty is that he's a guy that has played three years, but he's still, you know, a young guy, which which helps him out a lot, you know, heading into this new team. I certainly can't say that I know the answer to that either, Ryan, but I, I also think that there's a lot of fantasy analysts out there that have always said, Boy, the Dolphins are idiots. Why don't they keep giving the ball to Miller? Sherman doesn't know what he's talking about. Philbin doesn't know what he's talking about. Miller's the best guy. Give him the ball. Well, multiple coaches that do this for a living and are pretty bright have decided that he's not a workhorse, you know, that are with him every day. And just because we sit here in my basement in, in Pittsburgh and he's you know he's not helping my fantasy team as much as he should, they might know more about him than we do. I'm just saying that I, I think it's a little bit a jump in the deep end to just say, boy, Miller's going to get 20 or 25 touches a game. Well, I think this year, now that Miller is, is in Houston, where they do focus on the running game so much, like Rich pointed out, I think we're going to learn either Philbin and, and his predecessors yeah. were really bad or Lamar Miller's bad. You know, one of, one of those things is true, I think. Yeah. I think we know O'Brien is good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, he yeah. got a ton yeah. out of bad quarterbacks over, well, since the, he's been there. That whole offense last year. Right. Really, the last couple of years. I mean, Schaub yeah. was done whenever he was, quote, good with O'Brien. And another really odd, one of the, the strangest stats to me that didn't add up during the season is the Texans ran a ton of plays last year. You know, they had a really good defense. They run the ball a lot, but they, they have a very high – uh, play per game average. I don't know if that's, and it's not like they're constantly running no huddle like the Eagles. I don't know if that's going to keep up or if that's a fluky thing. Yeah, it might be just from you know Brian's days at you know in New England. That was always, always a point of emphasis as well, whether he rolled that over or not. Uh, but we, yeah, we'll we'll find out a lot about the Texans personnel in general this year. We'll find out a lot of truths. All right, let's finish up the AFC with the AFC West and the Super Bowl champs, the Denver Broncos. Rich? Yeah, you're starting to see, uh, you know, the, the Demarius Thomas stuff fly around and, you know, whether people want to get back and rebuy in on Demarius Thomas. But I think if you look at the two, two most important numbers are 21 and 246. That's a number of receptions and yards Demarius Thomas was on pace to lose over a full season last year when Peyton Manning wasn't the quarterback. You know, despite Manning being, you know, a shell of the player we had grown to know our whole lives, I mean, th that's still a very significant number, and, you know, a lot of people throw that up as an, an argument for Demarius Thomas is that, well, he still put up 90 and 1,300 with Manning and Osweiler. Um, so, I mean, the days of Thomas already are, are being a set-and-forget wide receiver one are likely over. He had just four top-scoring weeks in PPR formats last year. Uh, so, I mean, I'm kind of worried about Demarius Thomas uh, and his fall, you know, being having a lot more truth than people, I think, want to believe. So what are you guys doing with Demarius Thomas right now in, in Dynasty? I own him in one league, and I had him in his best, and I probably missed my window to dump him when I get the most out of him, and now I can't get anything for him. So, I mean, I'm just holding right now, but I would like to move him for what I think is equal value. I don't think you can sell him right now for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the narrative that 
that Rich lays out here is is what everybody's uh, not the number specifically necessarily, but uh, you know everybody looks at uh, their quarterback situation. Everybody looks at at Thomas's age, and they're you know they're just staying away. So you know your best case in dynasty right now is probably a future first. Uh, one you know one future first or you know maybe like a Parker type we talked about him earlier you know but but flipping him for uh, you know Amari Cooper or Mike Evans that's no, that's yeah. out of the, that's out of the question yeah yeah I think your best bet uh, if you want to try to get a young receiver is you're trying you're looking at like that Jordan Matthews tier receivers uh, where you're going to be able to, to flip him for a guy probably straight up if you don't if you're not in the draft picks. Um, you know, and kind of play like a, like a longevity window. I don't think you can get him for a guy that's a, a wide receiver one on people's radars right now. How about a 17-second and lock it? That's probably a no for me. I'd want more for Demarius. I, I would probably – I, I would ask for probably – I would try to get more. I would try to get something better than the second. Um, just because second-round second, second round picks to me just really are – I mean, they, they don't have such a high, high hit rate to begin with. Um, but I mean, I mean, unlock it for sure for the long run. <laughs> yeah, I just like lock it. <laughs> so I mean that I, I'm no. I, I mean, if you're looking at Lockett's career, I mean, he, he, what you're trading now is potentially what uh, one to three years of Demarius being like a wide receiver two three for maybe you know eight to ten years of Lockett being a wide receiver two three. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess my advice is always, you know, when you're looking at, at selling a veteran, is always just wait until the regular season. You know, Demarius, right. Demarius is going to have a big game. You know, guys like Kevin White or, uh, you know, Laquan Treadwell, they're, they're going to be disappointments at some point, and you can make that type of deal potentially. Yeah, his targets aren't going anywhere. Like, they're, I mean... Right, right. That's a good point. All right, yeah. spe- speaking of Amari Cooper, what about the Oakland Raiders, Rich? Yeah, Mari Cooper, just eight red zone targets, zero targets out of the 22 passes uh, that the Raiders had inside the 10-yard line, uh, trailing both Seth Roberts and Michael Crabtree in both areas. I mean, you look, Cooper, he was forced to lean on splash plays as a rookie. He averaged 34.3 yards per touchdown reception. That was the sixth longest of all receivers with five or more touchdowns. It, it seems odd that the Raiders would continue to freeze out their best offensive player when calling plays that generate touchdowns, uh, but Cooper's ceiling is going to be, you know, in question unless he's a guy that can start getting those types of targets and roll o- to roll over uh, in his favor, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens because he wasn't a guy that was a big clasher in college, uh, but, you know, with the NFL, you know, adopting more people, more teams are running, like, the rub route and the, near the goal line and stuff like that. He should be effective on those types of plays. It's just that we need the Raiders to start incorporating him, so we're not relying on Cooper to be, like, a 6-8 to eight touchdown guy. We need him to flirt with being a 10-12 to 12 touchdown guy based on his cost. This has to be fluke. Don't you think? I mean, like, I can't see yeah. this. You know, well, it makes no sense. Yeah, for the next couple of years, I don't think this is going to be a trend. Yeah, this one actually made me think of the of the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I, I just can't explain this. Uh, it, it There's no reason for it. So Yeah, yeah I mean, a wide receiver screen, anything. Like, can we get anything? Yeah, and I've heard you, you know, I've heard you mention stats similar to that on other shows and, and in some of your work, Rich, and, you know, it, it just hurts my heart. I love Cooper. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, he's he's a top five dynasty wide receiver easily for me. So, you know, I hope Matt is right. I hope that is a fluke and, and we see some some changes this year. This uh, is what you do, though. You take this – you cut and paste this stat from this Google Doc we have, <laughs> send it to all the Cooper owners in your dynasty leagues, and then follow <laughs> it up with a 75% trade on the dollar. 
We'll see if that works. You know, you know that. <laughs> with Demarius Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Demarius Thomas and right. That, Just don't uh, listen to Dynasty Blueprint. That used car salesman tactic uh, <laughs> is not not usually a good one in Dynasty, but I no, might try. That usually work. All right. What about the Chargers, Rich? Yeah, the Chargers. Another guy that's that's surging this offseason is Keenan Allen. I think you look at him. Ten point seven and ten. That was Keenan Allen's average depth of target and the number of targets from the ten and in the last time Ken Wisenhunt called plays for the Chargers. Since then, Allen's eight out his average depth of target has just been around eight point four yards. He's had just five targets, you know, near the paint total since then from the ten yard line and in those two years. I mean, Allen was fourth in the NFL in targets per game last year at eleven point one before missing the final eight weeks that random fluky kidney injury. I can't remember another wide receiver having a kidney injury on a play. Uh, and he had three more. He had three games of 130 more receiving yards last year, which was bested only by Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, and Odo Beckham, who played the whole season. So I think that a lot of people have lost uh, a little bit in Keenan Allen kind of being like the, the rich man's Jarvis Landry in a sense. But, I mean, he was an effective vertical receiver as a rookie year when Ken was not there, and he was also effective near the goal line there. So, I mean, I'll be interested to see if, you know, intrigued to see if he gets some of that usage back. Yeah, I think he's almost becoming like the Rob Gronkowski of wide receivers. You know, that Gronk has had these kind of random injuries, There's uh, and people have labeled him as injury-prone. And I'm starting to see some of that with Allen as well. You know, we had uh, Adam Harstad on a couple weeks ago, and, you know, he was he was joking that he doesn't think that, that Allen's perpetual kidney injuries are, are an issue. Um, but, you know, the injuries have mounted mounted up for Allen, and I think I think fantasy owners are concerned. But it would it blow you away if he led the NFL in targets next year or catches? I mean, he could catch a ton of balls. I think there's a lot of candidates, you know, when you, like we talked about A.J. Green. with yeah, He's on a short list. Yeah, with few other options there. Dez is always um, always an option if he can stay healthy. But, but yeah, I mean, Allen's in that conversation as far as the, the volume he'll see. Rich, what about the Chiefs? What did you have on them? So the Chiefs, 22.5%. Uh, that's what uh, the percent of targets uh, Travis Kelsey saw the Chiefs offense last year. He had over 20% of the Chiefs targets in 10 of his 16 games last season. Those 10 games of the 20-plus you know, target market share were tied with Laney Walker for the second most in the league behind Greg Olson's 11. And despite getting his hands on a large piece of uh, his team's passing game, Kelsey ranked just 13th in the position game in targets per game. Uh, and that was with Jamal Charles missing two-thirds of the year. And also with that larger grip on the offense, Kelsey had just three top six scoring weeks all of 2015 uh, with eight at tight end 14 or lower in PPR leagues. So, I mean, people look for Travis Kelsey in the Lamar Miller sense that we talked about to give him more targets, but there really aren't more targets to give Travis Kelsey. He had all the targets uh, he could really, you know, hope for last year. It's just that the pie isn't large enough uh, in the Kansas City offense for him to be, uh, you know, a, a main fantasy factor at the tight end position. And there's no reason for them to change it. You know, they win a lot of games with Andy Reid. Andy Reid knows how to win NFL games. He doesn't care about our fantasy teams. I don't see anything changing with this offense at all. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at Kelsey too. I mean, the 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 age, you know, the age apex for tight ends. I mean, he was a guy that was an older prospect. And he missed the year. Uh, you know, he's going through the the, the crux of his, his his pinnacle of you know for fantasy production and uh, you know tied to this low volume offense, which is a problem. Brian, I'm going to take a minute and tell people about our sponsors. And if they have a second, 
I suggest they go to LootCrate.com. And honestly, before they became a sponsor, I didn't know very much about it. But better yet, go to LootCrate.com backslash Dynasty Blueprint. Because if you do that and you you put in our in Dynasty Blueprint as the, as the password, you save three bucks a month. And, and it's a very, very cool service where you don't know what you're getting. They ship you a box every week, every month, that is very geek-related. That's their words, not mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gaming stuff. It's Star Wars stuff. It's the Hobbit stuff, you know, geeky stuff, and it's very cool. I mean, you get more than you pay for. Check it out. All right, Rich, let's move over to the NFC. We'll start with the NFC East and the Dallas Cowboys. They added Ezekiel Elliott this year. Uh, You know, they're obviously hoping that Romo and Dez can stay healthy. What do you have there? Yeah, I think it's really easy cut and dry with the Cowboys, especially paired with their offseason. Uh, they, they ran 99 fewer rushing plays than they did in 2014. Uh, and it's really easy to find out where they went because they also trailed on the scoreboard for 101 more offensive plays. I mean, even though the Cowboys uh, go from having the second most rushing attempts in the NFL you know, in 2014 to falling to 18th a season ago, they still ran the ball effectively. I mean, they ran, they uh, were ninth in rushing yards as a team, fifth in yards per carry, and that was with, you know, uh, Darren McFadden, Joseph Randall, and, you know, Christy Michael even mixed in at some point. So, I mean, judging by, you know, the, their high investment in Ezekiel Elliott and what they have told us they want to do in protecting Tony Romo, uh, I think that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott puts himself in a, in a prime spot to hit the ground running, and he may be the overall RB1 score when the dust settles this year. Yeah, you know, I want to expand on that too. And we just did the Scott Fishbowl. I had one eight, and I took Zeke Elliott, and I was jumping out of my skin to do that. I mean, I, I honestly yeah. think in my redraft league, I might take him first overall. I mean, I think he's right there. Uh, I, I love his situation. He's going to touch a ton of passes. However, I'm writing this article I'm going to turn in tonight mm-hmm. of offenses to avoid, mm-hmm. and I'm writing up Dallas. Their yeah. schedule's super easy. Their offensive line's great. Elliott's going to be Rookie of the Year. Dez is back. Romo's back. Witten's still good. Well, what's not to like? And I say this all the time on this air on, on the Dynasty Blueprint is the quarterback that scares me the most to get injured this year is Tony Romo. I don't so know if his body can do it anymore, and I don't have any great, you know, medical evidence to say otherwise, except for he's hurt all the time. But if he's out, this offense is going to be garbage. Yeah, they've they've got thin depth everywhere on offense, and we know very the defense isn't so. good, and and we know that the style that they want to play with is very fragile in itself. Uh, you know the you know the, the they have an easy schedule, which may help it out, but this defense isn't good isn't good enough uh, to, to to hide completely, and you know uh, especially their the defense in the league. They're pa- they have no pass rush whatsoever, or pass no. rushers. So, I mean, it's going to be real interesting to see how this shakes out because the, the brand of football they want to play is fragile, and their offensive depth is fragile all around, at every position, wide receiver, tight end, running back, you name it, uh, yep. outside of offensive line. So it's good. it could be – they could very well be a fantasy trap this year, like you said. They could be. I mean, they could be 3-13 and 13 if Romo gets hurt like I think he has a very good chance to do. Or what if Dez goes out? I mean, they don't have any other receivers. They're very dependent on a couple guys that haven't been healthy lately. Yeah, it really is surprising they didn't. uh, I mean, I know I think they drafted Dak Prescott, but, you know, they didn't look to add any reliable backup to Romo. That's that's kind of surprising after what they went through last year. Yeah, I thought Matt Moore would be the guy. I thought Matt Moore was the guy they should have got. That would be a great pickup. Exactly, a guy like that. You know, Matt Castle was bouncing around, finally deciding he's going to play again. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. What about the Washington Redskins? 
Yeah, so everyone's everyone's uh, you know all on the the Jordan Reed bouncing you know dynasty redraft stock train and uh, 2.18. That's the number of fantasy points per target Jordan Reed had. That was the third highest mark uh, ever for a tight end in a season behind Rob Gronkowski 2011 and Antonio Gates 2004. Uh, Reed ended up closing the season with nine weeks as a top top six score at tight end, the most of any tight end in the season while playing in just 14 games. Uh, he caught a career high 76% of his targets. He turned seven of 11 targets from the 10-yard line and in for touchdowns. I mean, he was a massive target monster per opportunity. He was targeted on 29% of his routes uh, that led all tight ends in the NFL. So, I mean, all things that screamed that it could have been once-in-a-lifetime, you know, perfect storm all coming together uh, for a guy like Jordan Reed, who's, uh, you know, a guy that's being drafted in the third and fourth round of redraft right now. And, you know, the and it's jumped from dynasty, you know, being a, you know, forget me pick, you know, all the way back up to being a guy guys are targeting. Now I don't, I mean, Ryan, you probably know where he's going exactly, but. Yeah. I mean, he's like a fourth or fifth rounder. He's, he's the tight end too, uh, especially with the, you know, the Eifert injury. He's not, you know, he's not a guy I'm going to rely on. Uh, again, Adam Harstad a couple weeks ago talked about his injury history and the concussions are obviously a worry there. I just I just can't trust Jordan Reed. See, I think he's a really good player and a very yeah. <laughs> Kirk Cousins friendly option in the middle of the field. You know, he's not throwing deep outs. I mean, they're easier throws. He's an amazing route runner. And the key to me with the when you're talking about the health and the injuries and the concussions, the Redskins don't seem worried. They just gave him a long-term deal. Mm-hmm. You know, they know they know him better than we do. And and when I'm looking at redraft, you know, dynasty aside for a minute. I think it's Gronk, and then Reed is a close second. And I don't even know who third is, but there's a big gap. And it really surprises me. I would rather have Jordan Reed in the third, fourth turn than I would Gronk in the first, mm-hmm. second turn for redraft. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rich, what about the New York Giants? Uh, 15, that's the number of 100-yard games Odell Beckham has. That's the most ever for a player through their first two seasons since the merger. He's also scored in 17 of his 27 games, tied for the third most of any player over his first two seasons. His 100, he has the same amount of 100-yard receiving games as Des Bryant does in 80 career games. Uh, so, I mean, I know that Antonio Brown is the, you know, the, the, the set-and-forget 101, but I think in Dynasty, I mean, Odell Beckham has to be the, 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 the first pickoff boards, you know, in every league. Oh, yeah, he's my number one Dynasty asset without yeah. question. Yeah, and I don't think it's even really close, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, Brown and Julio both had monster years last year, could easily do that again. But Beckham is, you know, Beckham is matching them or exceeding them in in some of these categories. And, you know, when you look at him being three or four years younger, it it should be, you know, an easy call Mm -hmm. with the top pick. All right, let's finish up the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, so the the Eagles, uh, 339 fewer plays uh, that the Chiefs have ran the past three years than the Eagles. That's essentially five full games worth. Uh, you know, even though he wasn't the primary play caller in Kansas City over the past two years, uh, Doug Peterson was still labeled the offensive coordinator where the Chiefs ranked 30th in offensive plays uh, run per game. They were 30th in passing plays called per game. I mean, regardless how the game scripts are going to play out for the Eagles, uh, they've got a pretty pretty rocky road uh, as far as schedule outlooks comes. I mean, the, the all Eagles offensive players could stand to lose in the neighborhood of 100 total plus snaps, uh, you know, in two to three games worth of passing volume this year, which is uh, problematic compared to the Chip Kelly years you know the moves that that they made immediately after Peterson arrived 
told us that they want to be run heavy. They want to feature their tight ends in, you know, in the passing game. And then I think it was just today we saw a blurb over at Roto World that maybe Matthews is not a good fit for that offense. So what's, what's your outlook on Jordan Matthews in Dynasty? I still feel pretty good about him if your expectations are that he's going to be, uh, you know, a, a kind of like a, a fringe wide receiver three, uh, wide receiver two on your roster. I think that a lot of people were expecting him because of his athletic profile and college production to be an NFL wide receiver one, and I just don't think he's that kind of player. I think he's a guy that, that just thrives on the interior, and it's not a problem. A lot of people have problems saying that, uh, you know, it's kind of a negative for him. That's just what he's really good at is, you know, and that's what he's been used at his two years in the NFL. I think he can play a little bit of flanker, uh, but he's just not as good on the outside as he is on the inside, and for fantasy, that's going to always cap his, you know, ceiling from being able to take that next step. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, if we're talking just this upcoming season, the only eagle I could see me taking at where they're going for redraft reasons is Ryan Matthews. Yeah, and he's he's even gaining some value. You know, he's I think in redraft he's third fourth rounder, so that's getting pretty you yeah, know pretty surging, pretty pricey for him. People uh, forget that he's really good at football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, there's so many people that had him and he broke his collarbones. So I'll never own Ryan Matthews again. I hate him. When he has the ball in his hands, he's one of the better backs in the league. Yeah, I think it's mostly fans. People have he, he, you know, he's Charlie Brown us. You know, Lucy pulling the football out on us, and people run away from that. But he was second in the NFL in rushing points per carry last year behind David Johnson. So, I mean, he still was effective, and it was, was a real good, effective player. And they signed him. You remember they were going to sign him before Demarco Murray, and then he kind of left the building, and then came back and still resign and still signed there. So, I mean, he was part of their plans all along. Okay, Rich, let's move over to the NFC th- NFC South. Uh, we've got the New Orleans Saints. Matt and I both love Brandon Cooks. Any any information on him? Yeah, I mean, I think Cooks is flying under the radar a little bit. I think especially his ceiling. You look at last year, he had six games of 15-plus standard points, uh, which was seventh of all receivers in the league. I mean, he's just turning 23 in late September this year. Uh, he ranked sixth in NFL history in receptions before the 23rd birthday, and uh, he, he came on really strong the back half of last year, and I think he another step forward is going to put him right on that fringe wide receiver fantasy one you know kind of production trajectory. I know friend of the podcast, Matt Harmon's wide receiver word is like gospel now, and I'm just making fun of him. I mean, it's too, it's over the top. Anything that comes out of his mouth, it just changes ADP immediately. And Matt's awesome, don't get me wrong, but man, do I disagree with him on Brandon Cooks. You know, he thinks Cooks is just a guy. I don't see that at all. And I know he loves Sneed, and he's convinced me that Sneed's actually good, but man, I think Cooks is a stud. Yeah, once the Saints figured out kind of like eight games into his career that he was an actual real receiver and not how they tried to use him to start out his career, that he wasn't Tavon Austin, uh, that's when he, that's when he started to take off. Right, and I think he can be the Devery Henderson take-the-top-off guy, but he can also be the bubble screen guy, the crosser guy, you know, much better than a, a just a deep threat. Mm-hmm. So, Rich, we've seen a lot of change in New Orleans. You know, Colston is gone. Um they brought in Kobe Fleener. They lost Ben Watson. They drafted Michael Thomas as well. How do you see, I guess, kind of the pecking order with the Saints this year? Well, I, I mean, think it's clearly Cooks, and then I think you'll have kind of a, 
you know, halfway battle between Fleener and, and Willie Sneed there. I mean, Sneed was a guy that had 100 targets and missed a game and didn't even start, you know, until, you know, week three or four. So I still think he's going to be fine. He, he may be like a Lance Morris clone, uh, you know, for fantasy purposes. Um, but I still think that he's going to flirt with triple-digit targets pretty easily while, you know, Thomas is the guy that kind of gets what's left over kind of from like that 70 to 80 target range while everyone's healthy, but obviously can he's a ceiling to get more in that offense, you know, if he hits the ground running or if someone else was to go down. All right, what about their division rival, the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, of course, Julio Jones, huge year last year. What do you have there? Yeah, I think Julio Jones is pretty interesting when you look at just 5.7% uh, uh, is all Julio Jones has scored on is 281 receptions over the past three years. years. That ranks 83rd out of all wide receivers. Uh, you know, Jones has kind of started to become the new Andre Johnson of late, where he is. You know, he hasn't caught a touchdown in more than six percent of his catches since 2012. You know, after posting 14.8 percent and 13 percent marks to start his career last year, it looked like we'd finally see the perfect storm for Julio as he scored four times the first three weeks and then just four times the rest of the season. I mean, it's very scary to think that we still haven't seen the best season of Julio Jones when he's had back-to-back 100-yard catch, 1500-yard seasons, but we still have it, and it's still exists in the range of outcomes, you know, for the receiver he is. That's another one that's hard to explain for me, but, you know, with three years' worth of data, it's it, it's obviously there. So wh- what do you see as the explanation? Well, last year was interesting because he had his most red zone targets, most targets inside the 10, his most conversion rates uh, inside the 10, his highest rate of conversion, too, as well. But, I mean, Matt Ryan had his lowest touchdown rate as a passer. So, I mean, the, you, there wasn't, like, a give uh, a give and take there. I mean, because Julio Jones had the best numbers of his career while Matt Ryan had his worst. So it's very interesting uh, to see what happens, uh, you know, how, how to explain that, that that's even, like, possible. Yeah, 83rd in the league, that's insane to me. I mean, he's yeah. As good as anyone. Yeah, it's so, scary. It's scary to think a, a guy with what he's done can still be better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he's the prototype. I mean, unlike Antonio Brown and Beckham, who are great. Don't get me wrong. But sure. when you draw up a receiver, they look like Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. I mean, studs. Yeah. All right, we're, let's move on. We we lost uh, Ryan for a minute oh. here. I'm sure he'll be back on. Um, the Bucks. And this is Mike Evans' 2015 touchdown rate, 4.1%, which, to be very honest with me, I think I know the answer, but it doesn't mean a thing to me because I don't know what, what's the normal. Yeah, so, I mean, the top, around the top 36 scores, they average around 10%. So, uh, you know, and, and as a rookie, uh, he scored 12 times on, on a wildly unsustainable 18. He scored 18% of his catches. So, I mean, when you're looking at Mike Evans, I mean, you're looking for a complete bounce back in the touchdown department, you know, uh, from last year. I mean, he was a guy that had the same amount of catches, same amount of yards, all, all in tow as last year. But now we can expect, you know, is it going to be like a Julio Jones thing where he just bounces back and forth? Maybe he's a guy that's going to score, you know, always be a volatile producer. Um, but I think that we's the guy that we still haven't seen the whole product yet, you know, come to fruition. And, you know, it could be a situation this year with B-Jax being 33. There's not a lot of receiving depth behind him. I know Kenny Bell's a popular guy, but he was still a pretty raw player, no experience in the NFL. Yeah, guys like Lewis Murphy, Dante Dye. I mean, the tight ends, the Cameron Brate, Austin Spray and Jenkins, whatever's going on with him. I mean, it's, it, he's going to get 140 targets. Uh, so, I mean, he's a guy that can definitely, you know, hang a crooked number of touchdown department. You know, don't be let down by what he did last year. 
Yeah, I think he's a definite bounce back guy and, and a first round dynasty asset. He's mm-hmm. so young and he's six five. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rich, let's uh, finish up the division with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, of course, they had the, the great run last year uh, to the Super Bowl and, and lost there. What do you have on Cam Newton? Yeah, so, I mean, historically, historically, quarterbacks that have thrown a touchdown every once every 15 passes or less have lost seven fewer touchdowns the following season. Cam Newton threw a touchdown pass once every 14.2 pass attempts last year after averaging one every 23.5 for his career prior. I mean, you look at Cam Newton, his problem always was never being a top-five fantasy scorer. It was being able to string along those ceiling weeks, which is what he did uh, in the back half last season. But the first half of the season, we still saw the same Cam Newton we had always seen. He, you know, through seven weeks, Cam Newton had thrown 11 touchdowns to eight interceptions. He just had one top-ten scoring week uh, before going nuclear. Uh, and I think you can point a lot to his progression and in in Mike Shula's progression as a play caller and finally trusting, you know, what his strengths of his team are. Uh, but I think you can also attribute a lot to what the Carolina Panthers faced as an NFL schedule last year. You know, inside not only inside their own horrendous division, they played the NFC East and they played the uh, AFC South. Uh, you know, it's a recipe for a good team to hang up a lot of wins, which happened last year, and Cam Newton completely benefited. I'm not scared of Cam Newton, obviously, by any means, because like I said, he's been a top-five producer, you know, every year of his career, but one, you know, for fantasy. Uh, but I, I think expecting, you know, another 45 touchdowns uh, to come back, you can expect those to come down close to the 30 range this year. It seems like he's the quarterback version of, of Allen Robinson, that there's going to be some regression, some drop in those numbers, but still, you know, yeah. still starting-level player. So. Mm-hmm. All right, the NFC North. Let's start with the Packers. Well, since I this is, I haven't got to talk to you and Ryan, I wanted to, to bring a Randall Cobb stat to the to the table. Uh, so I mean, so, so Randall Cobb, uh, twenty eight is the amount of targets Randall Cobb has had from the ten and in over the past two seasons, trailing only Antonio Brown in the NFL. Uh, that's not just inflated by twenty fourteen either, as Cobb ranked fifth in the league last year with an identical 14 targets there as he did in 2014. Uh, Cobb is just turning 26 this season. Uh, he's been discounted by, by many owners in many leagues, uh, in Dynasty included, even given his age and attachment to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and his 2015 campaign was just so out of whack with all his career numbers uh, that uh, I think we can expect them to take a bounce back to return of Jordy Nelson, you know, the – the addition of uh, Jared Cook, maybe an extension of, of getting the ball down the field vertically, uh, which will free him up and see less bracket coverage for Randall Cobb this year. So was last year just a case of Jordy Nelson being gone and, and now he's getting, you know, I guess wide receiver one attention uh, from the defense or maybe being asked to play a different role in the offense? What, what happened last year? I really think it was a perfect storm that yeah. – their offensive line is very good, and it was bad when it was injured. So they go out and they draft Spriggs. They trade up for which they never do. They didn't have anything at tight end. Nelson was out, and there was nobody, no perimeter threat that scared anybody or no deep threat that scared anybody. And even the Devontae Adams and Janice and those guys, they had no timing with Rodgers. I mean, it's a very timing-based offense. You know, think about all the – the back shoulder fades Jordy Nelson caught over the last couple of years. I mean, those things don't come with it. They take a lot of practice. And in turn, and plus Eddie Lacy was fat. And, and then you look at last year, you know, if you're defending the, the Packers without Nelson, you put a lot of bodies in the middle of the field to defend Lacey and Cobb. And it was just asking too much from Cobb. Plus, I think he had a shoulder for a lot of the year, too. 
All right, what about the Detroit yeah. Lions? Obviously have lost Calvin Johnson. Is Matthew Stafford's game going to look totally different this year? Yeah, I, I think so. When you look at Stafford, he threw 21 passing touchdowns from the 10-yard line and in. That was tied with Blake Bortles for the most in the league. That total was the 10th highest ever in a season since 2000. When you look at Stafford, he averages 9.8 yards per touchdown pass. That ranked higher than only Matt Hasselbeck and Ryan Mallett on the season. Uh, you know, he, he was completely reliant on bunnies uh, bunnies to get to get him his touchdown totals. Now without Calvin Johnson, I know Calvin Johnson wasn't the player that Calvin Johnson was to start his career, uh, but he was a guy that defense is completely game plan for, you know, coming into every week. Uh, so the loss of him is going to be felt as a net loss for the entire offense, in my opinion. Um, and, and without a guy like a big vertical target, I think that they're going to be more of a a more of an intermediate passing team, which is kind of a problem to boost touchdown totals. We've seen a lot of guys ha have trouble uh, being intermediate passers and being able to stack touchdowns. So I think that Stafford's a guy that I think can easily fall back into like the 25 touchdown range, you know, to where he was last year. One more note on them, too, is their running game's been so putrid. I think it almost has to get better. I mean, look at their offensive line. <laughs> By default. They have three first-round picks on the offensive line, and Swanson, the center, was a second-rounder, I think, and Wolford, their best lineman, was a third-rounder. I mean, they got a lot invested up front. It's got to come together to some degree, and I think Abdullah's good. All right, what about the uh, Chicago Bears, Rich? Uh, 32.7%. That's how much Alshon Jeffrey was targeted per route last season. That was tops in the NFL. Uh, Jeffrey was working towards 165 target pace, you know, uh, in an offense that passed only 54% of the time, which is 25th in the league. I think even with the return of Kevin White, Jeffrey, Jeffrey stands to be uh, a target monster again in 2016. And he's a guy that's kind of, you know, slipping into that late second round now in redraft. And I think that people are slipping on, you know, the kind of ceiling Alshon Jeffrey may possess, you know, at least from a fantasy sense, whether the Bears want to admit that he's the wide receiver one or not. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask. That's more, you know, talk we've seen this offseason that that maybe the Bears just don't believe in him. Is is that just posturing? I don't know. I mean, he he's not in the facility a lot. He's been injured a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see them just saying, "Let's wait a little." And, and the thing people forget about franchise tags is they could franchise him again. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that he's necessarily all of a sudden going to be, you know, free free to roam if he has a great year this year. So I kind of see what they're doing there, but I think he's a great fantasy asset, a great dynasty player. I mean, I have no doubt. So the, only, the only thing is the injuries. But, I mean, is he more injury prone than anyone else? I, I would be shocked. But can, you, can either one of you see a scenario where Kevin White burst onto the scene, has a huge year, and, you know, maybe Jeffrey has hamstring injuries again, and they just let him walk? Maybe, but I think White is more of a burst-on-the-scene in 2017 guy. Yeah, I think the only way it happens is, if, like you said, it, it is injury-related. He just can't stay on the field consistently, and, the, and that's how they wash their hands to the situation. But uh, while he's on the field, I really can't, I really can't see uh, you know, them not getting what their investment is or what they, what they want to invest into him. All right, Rich, finish up the NFC North with the uh, Minnesota Vikings. 
Yeah, so Adrian Adrian Peterson converted just 25% of his carries from the five-yard line and in, uh, four of 16. That was the lowest rate of his career after converting 48% of those attempts prior to last season. Uh, despite the new low in conversion rate from, from goal line carries, uh, Peterson still scored 11 touchdowns on the ground, and he scored double-digit rushing touchdowns in every uh, NFL season uh, outside of the year that he you know, was suspended for the rest of the season. Uh, the Vikings added, you know, Alex Boone. I mean, Andre Smith was kind of a, an up-and-down player in Cincinnati, but they added him to the line this season. Minnesota gets to play the, uh, gets the trade, they trade the AFC and NFC West divisions for the NFC East and AFC South this year. Um, the inexperience in the Vikings passing game at receiver all points to that Adrian Peterson's probably not going to be done yet. Uh, for as long as, uh, you know, he's upright, you know, and Mike Zimmer in the way he wants to play. Uh, I still think Adrian Peterson's getting kind of slept on this year for having a big year. Their offensive line could be very good this year, too. I mean, they got about nine guys that can play all of a sudden in a league where nobody has offensive line depth, and they're all big, mauling, Phil Lodehold, Alex Boone guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a little, uh, a little Viking Super Bowl talk, and uh, Matt, did I believe you named them what, the best roster in the league? Is that correct? The best roster in the league if you don't talk about the quarterback position. Which okay. everyone talks about the Bengals being that team. So it's uh, Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer went from that team in the AFC to that team in the NFC. Yeah, and he's building a similar thing, but better. Yep. I mean, yep. I think Zimmer yeah. is a great coach, and that roster is super impressive. Um, and I think, and I was ranking defenses not that long ago. I said, I think they're the, one of the top two or three best defenses in the league. All right, Rich, you've given us a ton of great information. We have one division left, the NFC West. We're going to start with the Seattle Seahawks. They have to have to be the favorite there still, even with the emergence of the Cardinals, I think. What do you have on Seattle? Yeah, so 29 points per game last year. Seattle averaged without Marshawn Lynch active last season. They also averaged over a full point more per drive as we got a glimpse of what Seattle uh, will potentially look like as Russell Wilson's team. I mean, Wilson only made modest jumps uh, in attempts in attempts per game without Lynch to just 20th in the league, but there was also a significant spike in volume when you consider that Seattle led by two or more possessions uh, for 70% of their second half snaps over that span and ran on 60% of those plays. I mean, those game situations accounted for 35% of the total plays Seattle played without Marshawn Lynch, uh, but just 25% of Wilson's passing attempts. Um, like we talked about, Julio Jones, you know, possibly not seeing the best he has to offer. We still haven't seen the full circumference of what a perfect season for Russell Wilson looks like, which is kind of scary. And, and that goes back to your Tyler Lockett love, I, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Wilson is is ready to take over uh, the crescendo as the best quarterback in the NFL. Wow. All right, what about the, I guess, the L.A. Rams? I almost, almost <laughs> said the St. Louis Rams, the L.A. Rams. Rich? Yeah, so uh, you know it's pretty easy. We we know how what offense they want to run and how they want who they want to run it through. And eleven point three is just the number of touches per game Todd Gurley averaged when the Rams trailed by a touchdown or more at halftime when he was active. Uh, while outside of those games, he averaged twenty three point two touches per game. Uh, so I mean, Gurley is a guy that got progressively better as the game went on. He averaged six point six yards per carry in the fourth quarter. So keeping games close is imperative for the Rams. You know, uh, in unlocking you know Gurley's true fantasy season. I mean, his floor is fine, uh, but we, we need the Rams to hang in some games this year. Yeah, and I question if they can do that. I, I got to think their defense is going to be a little bit worse, too. You know, yes, I mean, I really they lost like, a ton of defensive snaps. 
Yeah, and you know, two very prominent members of their secondary. I mean, I think the defensive yes. line's great. I like Ogletree a lot. At losing Chris Long and Laurinaitis doesn't change my life all that much, but losing Jenkins and McLeod, uh, the free safety, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. All right, one of one of the teams of the offseason, thanks to the uh, the the show that we've seen on Amazon, is the Cardinals. What do you have on them? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, first, that's what David Johnson led all qualifying running backs and rushing points per carry and receiving points per reception last season. You know, we know he carried uh, owners of fantasy titles once Chris Johnson was lost for the season. Over the final weeks, he led the NFL in yards from scrimmage, uh, led all non-quarterbacks in fantasy scoring while having the second most touches in the league. We've seen a lot of holes get poked in David Johnson's game, uh, which are warranted, especially as an interior runner. But I think that when you, I think it really just comes down to for fantasy the that he's a great receiver, a great athlete, and one of the NFL's best offenses, uh, and and we don't really need to overthink it too greatly uh, because he can overcome those deficiencies by all those other all those facets. And their line could be improved. You know, you got to think that he's going to be a better uh, runner with the nuances of the position, which is something he needed a lot of work with. I mean, he got got by on size and speed. Mm-hmm. So right now in Dynasty, Rich, we've got we've got Bell and Gurley and Zeke as the kind of the consensus top three running backs, um, you, you know, and you could argue the order there. But then the second tier obviously includes David Johnson. Can you see him cracking that top tier? Um, I, I guess at some point this season. I mean, maybe maybe in season, but uh, I think when you're talking about the Cardinals offense as a whole, and not you know, we'll exclude Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, from this because you know we know that Larry, Larry's getting getting there, um, but I think you have to start looking at the Cardinals' offense. What is life going to be like after Carson Palmer? Um, I trust Bruce Arians a lot, um, but you still need a quarterback to, to play play his the offense he wants to wants to run. Uh, and I think David Johnson is the guy that's going to be the safest uh, between him, Michael Floyd, and John Brown because of how he can be a receiver out of the backfield for you know a lesser quarterback. So, I mean, I think he can flirt with it, but I still think that the Cardinals uh, after after this this run of one to two years here, when Carson finally is done, uh, there's going to be some question marks uh, where these guys actually fall in the fantasy landscape. I would really like to see them take Cardell Jones. Yeah, he's yeah, the Bruce Arians guy right there. Yeah, that would have been a perfect successor possibly. All right, Rich, I've saved your favorite for last, the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, Chip Kelly is there now. What can we expect from the 49ers? Uh, I think what you're looking at from the 49ers is, I mean, they've only got really like a couple, a handful of fans who relevant players, but Carlos Hyde being the main one. Uh, when you look at Hyde to start his career, uh, the biggest stat for him, I think, is 2.2. That's yards per carry. More he's averaged running out of shotgun and the pistol uh, to start his career than the quarterback under center. You look at Chip Kelly, 78% Eagles running back rushes, you know, came with a uh, came from the pistol and shotgun under Kelly's watch. Uh, so, I mean, you look at Hyde, what he excelled at in college, what got him drafted in the second round in the first place was a lot of similar runs like that, inside zone like that. So, I mean, you're going to get a lot of more comfort- comfortability of Hyde running, you know, the types of plays that he was really good at running, you know, in college and what got him drafted in the first place, which I think is important. I mean, you're just worried about receptions and touchdowns being stuck in that offense. Uh, but I think Carlos Hyde is, is schematically, you know, this is a marriage that uh, should work out very well. I think you're dead on. And I think the people, you know, because he's a bigger guy, they assume he's not much of a receiver. I, I totally disagree. I think he's a very good pass catcher. He just hasn't had, been in the offense to have the opportunity to catch passes. Correct. 
All right, Rich. Well, as I said, you gave us a ton of information. Um, I was hoping for 32 stats. You gave us even more than that. You gave us plenty of information to think about as we uh, prepare for training camps, opening soon. Uh, and before we wrap up, just tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, so this year I'm just strictly at Roto World this year. I'll be doing the, the worksheet in season. I'll be doing some DFS content. I'll be plugging some articles for the rest of the summer. Um, and other, other than that, you know, uh, you know, pick up that Roto World draft guide, which I know you have a part in as well. So definitely you know, go grab that. I did all the projections, uh, and I did all the tiers right up for that, uh, that magazine. Oh, wow. Very cool. All right, yeah, some great work from, from you in the magazine and uh, over on rotoworld.com, so, so uh, definitely go and check that out. Thanks again for joining us, Rich, and we'll be back next time.